0: Kevin Smith directed and acted in his New Jersey Chronicles, Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, and the final chapter, Jay and Silent Bob Straight Back. Through his work, Smith presents his own lens through which we may view the world. And although it is not always rose-colored, we learn by looking through it a new way to examine spirituality, sexuality, and human relationships.
1: Happy yeah. weekend, everyone. One of the things I try to study in my free time is the art of storytelling. And Kevin Smith is one of the greatest storytellers in the world. He makes sort of indie cult movies, and he's also just a very articulate speaker. I don't remember exactly when I discovered his Superman Lives story, but every year since then, I've at least listened to him retell it once. So here's the full telling of the Superman Lives story. I hope you enjoy it.
0: And uh, just on the topic that you brought in comic books now, the situation, the true Hollywood story, if you will, with uh, the Superman Lives, and whether it was you who didn't want uh, Tim Burton to go down with it, or if he just wasn't happy with what you had done with it or what your take was on it. For those of you who don't know, because this is going back a few years now, back in, like, 96, 97, at one point, I was commissioned by Warner Brothers to write a script for a new Superman movie. And how it came about, I think, was that somebody saw Mallrats, somebody at Warner Brothers, some studio exec, and was just, like, watched Brody and, and T.S. talk about the kryptonite condom, and they were like, this guy seems to know a lot about Superman. <laughs> so I got called in for, for a meeting at Warner Brothers, and um, they uh, said, there's a couple of projects that uh, you can rewrite, because at this point, the script for Chasing Amy had started to circulate, and people were like, oh, he can write after all. So they were like offering me rewrite work. So I went into Warner Brothers and said, we have three projects we could throw your way. I said, all right, what are they? And they said, one is a, a remake of an Outer Limits episode called The Architects of Fear. The second is Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. <laughs> to which I was like, really, didn't we say all we needed to say with the first Beetlejuice? Must we go tropical? <laughs> and the uh, the third was uh, a project called Superman Reborn, and my, that's what piqued my interest. I was like, Superman? You guys are going to make another Superman movie? And they said, we're thinking about it. I said, can I, I? I would love to do that. And they said, well, that's a long shot. You can't. I can't give you that right here in the room. That has to go through a bunch of people because it's a big Warner Brothers franchise. So I said, well, what do I have to do? What, who's, who's fucking dick do I have to suck to get this job? <laughs> and um, thankfully, he didn't say his. Um, but he said, you know what? Why don't you take the script home? We have a, a draft of it. Take it home, read it, and tell me what you think about it. So I said, all right. I read the script, and I was just like, this is this fucking terrible... This is a horrible script. I mean, it was just really, really bad. It was kind of like the Batman TV show version of a Superman movie, very campy. So I went back to Warner Brothers two days later and sat down with the dude and he was like, what'd you think? I said, well, it was really quite bad. And he was like, "Well, what, bad meaning good?" And I said, "No, bad, just fucking terrible." And he said, "He's looking at me, and I'm, I'm just going on for about five minutes how bad the script is." And I was like, "Do you pay somebody to write this? Is this somebody's the writer of this script? Somebody's fucking cousin? Because who lets somebody write this script? I, do somebody you pay this dude? Can you get the money back? Because this is horrendous, dude, horrendous." And he was looking at me, nodding and going, "All right, well, thanks for coming in." So I left, and I was driving home. I got home and I called my friend Walters back in Jersey, and he's a big comic book fan. And I was like, dude, I just went into Warner Brothers and told him their script for Superman sucked. Ah, ah. <laughs> rebel, rebel, Jersey represent. Ah, fuck Hollywood. Ah! And Walter's like, well, why didn't you just offer to write a better version? And I was like, ah. Because I hadn't thought of that. I said, like, Fuck. But it didn't matter because the next day I got a call from my agent and he was like, hey, they want to see you at Warner Brothers again. I said, really? All right. So I went back and it was the same dude that I talked to originally, the same studio exec, and then there was another dude in the room with him. So I sat down with him and the first guy was like, glad you came back. Do me a favor, tell him what you told me about Superman, about the script. And I was like, "Um, all right, it's bad,
1: sucks, did your cousin write it, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Just notice that he uses repetition a lot in his storytelling to establish some kind of callback to stuff that he talked about earlier. And you're going to see a lot of examples of this in the rest of the speech. Did that for about five minutes, and then
0: they both just nodded at me quietly, and then they're like, all right, well, thanks for coming in. <laughs> so I just went back home. Next day, I got another call from my agent going, they want to meet with you at Warner Brothers again. <laughs> I said, all right. Because <laughs> I really didn't have much to do so I go back into the room and it's that dude the second dude and now there's a third dude in the room and they're all in a semi-circle chairs and they put me in one chair and the first guy's like tell the, tell the two guys tell this guy what you told us about the Superman script and I just imagined it as a real kind of water cooler situation like one dude's standing around the water cooler and somebody else was there as well getting some coffee and he was just like you should hear what the fucking clerk's dude said about the Superman script and the other guy's like what'd he say and he was like well you know what fuck it I'll just
1: bring him in This part's actually pretty clever. He embellishes the story by making up something that's plausible that could have gone on behind the scenes that explains something weird that he was seeing. But it didn't actually happen, and he doesn't know it happened, but it was funny anyway. So I told him again, and it went on
0: like that. It went on like that for almost a whole straight week. I would go back, there'd be another person in the room. And I kept saying the same shit over and over, and finally I got to the guy at the top, who's Lorenzo de Bonaventura. Now there's like six to eight guys sitting around a large table with Lorenzo at the one end and me at the other, and they're all like, tell him, tell Lorenzo what you told us about Superman. And so I launch into my spiel and shit, and Lorenzo's the first guy that's like, well, what would you do differently? And I said, um, well, I hadn't thought about it, but I mean, I guess you could try this, 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 and that, and that. And he's nodding and shit, and he's like, well, you know what? We're going to give you a shot at it. And I said, all right, awesome. And he goes, it's pending approval of the producer. And I said, who's the producer? And they said, John Peters. I said, um, all right, what do I got to do? Like, you got to go meet with him. I said, okay. Now, John Peters, if you don't know, uh, he's a producer on movies, like, he, he was an exec producer or producer name only on Rain Man, he was a producer on Batman. Um, He was a producer on the main event, the Barbra Streisand boxing movie, (laughs) which is how he got his start in the business. He used to be Barbra Streisand's hairdresser, and then one day he became a producer
1: because in Hollywood, you just kind of fail upwards. He totally left the Barbara Streisand anecdote to the end because that's how he's setting up the main antagonist of this story, John Peters. And note how he tells you what to think because he already sets you up by saying, in Hollywood, you just fail upwards. <laughs> so anyway,
0: I'm going to meet John Peters and I go to his place and he very much, he was hardcore producer on Batman. He was there every day. It was kind of his baby from beginning to end. And when you get to his house, it kind of shows because it's kind of like driving up to Wayne Manor. This is a big mansion through woods and shit like that, and it looks like there's a holographic cave to one side. <laughs> so you get up and shit, and they bring you in, and he shows up and he's wearing like short tennis shorts and shit, and he's kind of a built dude, but he's got a perfect head of hair, like well coiffed or coifed. <clears throat> so I come down, sit down with him. He says, "They tell me you got to take on Superman." I said, "I I do." He said, "Let me hear it." And I tell it to him. And after a while, I'm done. He's just nodding, looking at me, nodding. He goes you know why you and me are going to do a good job on Superman? And I said, why? He's gone. because you and me, we get Superman. You know why? I said, no. He said, because you and me, we're from the streets. <laughs> now, I, I grew up in suburban New Jersey. <laughs> Never saw a black man until I was about 28. Like, I'm the farthest thing from the streets there are. You know, I I grew up on a street. (laughs) But not on the streets. And I'm looking at this guy going like, I'm from the suburbs, you're a hairdresser, neither of us are from the street. (laughs) But I don't want to say that, because fuck it, I want the job. So I said, uh, who would you see playing Superman? And he said, if I had to cast it right now? I said, well, yeah. And he said, Sean Penn. And I was like... Spicoli? Because it was an interesting choice. And he's like, yeah, did you see see Dead Man Walking? Because that was out at the time. And I said, yeah. And he's going, well, look in his eyes in that movie. He's got the eyes of a violent, caged animal, of a fucking killer. And I was like, dude, it's Superman. He's like, I got some directives for you, if you're going to move forward on the process, some things I want you to do and don't in the script.
1: He's going three things. It's important to note that John Peters probably didn't talk that way. He didn't come up with three definitive lists that he wanted to see on the film. They probably worked towards it. So this is a retelling that is structured for maximum hilariousness. Okay, I said, all right.
0: So one, I don't want to see him in that suit. Two, I don't want to see him fly. And three, he's got to fight a giant spider in the third act. And I'm like, let's, let's go back to one. When you say you don't want him in the suit, and he's like, don't want to see him in it. Don't want it looks too faggy, he goes. And I was just like, no fags on the street, I take it. But I don't, I don't say that because I want the fucking job. So uh, he said, flying, flying, I don't want to see him fly. I said, well, that's, I mean, that's kind of the suit, and flying defines Superman. I said, don't want to see it, don't want to see him fly. No scenes where he's flying around carrying people, horseshit. I said, all right, all right, no flying. I said, but the giant spider intrigues me. Why, uh, why that? And he's like, do you know anything about spiders? And I said, I mean, no. And he said, well, they're the fiercest killers in the insect kingdom.
1: Again, another use of a callback, he emphasizes John Peters' fixation on killers. And I was like, what does that have to do with our non-flying Superman? And he
0: said, because there's going to be a scene in this movie, a scene that I want. When I saw King Kong when I was a kid, there's a scene where the doors open up and King Kong's revealed. And it's a real big moment. I want that moment in this movie. I want some doors to open up, but big fucking spiders there. (laughs) So I was just like, "Um, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I went back to Warner Brothers and sat down with them. And they said, uh, we heard from him. He liked you. Uh, We're going to hire you. We're going to move forward. Did he bring up the spider? (laughs) I said, he did brought up the spider. He you you guys about the spider?" They're like, every day with the fucking spider. I said, what should I do? They're like, just do it, but try not to call it a spider. Call it, can you call it something else? And I was just like, Thanagarian snare beast? And they were like, there, go. So um, I was ready to go start writing, and then I was told I had to write an outline first. And I was just like, what do you mean, an outline? They said, yeah, don't just write the script. You have to give us an overview of the story so we can approve the story so we can go write the script and we need you to write an outline. I said, can I include dialogue? They said, yeah, go ahead. And then dialogue's about the only thing I know how to do. So I went home and wrote 80 pages, just an 80-page outline with tons of dialogue (laughs) and very few kind of prose passages. And so I turned it in, and I, th- I was in Los Angeles the this time, I wanted to go back to Jersey. I turned in, I say, I'm finished, I'm gonna go back to Jersey and let me know what you guys think, and you can reach me back home. And they said, well, first off, um, this is 80 pages. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's the outline. They're like, an outline is like four pages max. And I was just like, well, you know, i just overcompensating because I grew up fat. Uh, they said, Second off, you can't leave. You got to stick around here and read John the outline. And I said, but, What do you mean, read John the outline? They said, Yeah, he likes to have the outlines read to him by the writer. And I said, What well, do I have fucking talk him in when I'm done, too? So I go back up to fucking Wayne Manor. I sit down with John, and John puts me in a chair, and he's got a couch in this huge fucking living room. He lays down on the couch. And he goes, and I said, what's, what's with that? And he's like, "I just, I like to visualize the movie while it's being read to me. So I'm looking at it up here. He was building a little screen in his mind's eye. This was a screen. So I was just like, all right, here we go. And I start reading and uh, since it's Superman you know you tend to use the term Superman a lot and I didn't want to keep doing that it gets a little boring so being a comic book fan I changed it up called him Kal-El when he was on Krypton you know the Man of Tomorrow Man of Steel shit like that so I'm reading the first few pages when he's on Krypton when he's a baby because I have to redo the origin and uh, it's Kal-El this Kal-El that blah 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 he's like wait a second wait a second wait a second who, who the fuck is Kal-El <laughs> and I was like Kal-El is Superman he's going alright why? And I was like, that's his Kryptonian name. And he goes, I'm like, Krypton's where he's from? He's like, right, 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 fucking planet, boom. All right, all
2: right.
1: Really emphasizing how much he doesn't like this guy by repeatedly pointing out cases where John Peters just has no idea what Superman is or is about, and he's producing this movie go.
0: (laughs) So we go back into it and shit and I read it and, and when I'm all done, he's like, all right, I think we got a movie here. He's going, the problem though, you're missing some beats, some action beats. You need an action beat. Every 10 pages, something big has to happen. I said, well, what are you thinking about? He's like, well, it's just an example. Like when you go, you have a scene where Brainiac goes to the Fortress of Solitude looking for Superman. Superman's dead at this point. Hope I didn't spoil the movie for anybody. So Brainiac's looking for him, the Fortress of Solitude. And something should happen there. There should be a big fucking fight. I'm like, but Superman's dead at this point. He's like, I know, I know, but can't Brainiac fight something else up there? And I was like, well, like what? He's like, what about, like, Superman's guards as soldiers? And I'm like, why? Why would Superman need guards? <laughs> you know, he's, he's Superman. He's... And plus, it's called the Fortress of Solitude. Nobody's up there. And he said, well, Jesus Christ, he's going, how about, what about, where is this, in the Antarctic? I said, yeah, he's like, what about polar bears? And I was like, polar bears? He said, yeah, have have them fight some polar bears. Brainiac shows up, he's trying to get in the fortress. Polar bears come at him and he just fucking kills one and one runs away. Because we don't want to piss off the peta people. And I said, you want me to write a scene where Brainiac is razzling polar bears? And he says, yeah, you know anything about polar bears? And I said, no, I don't. He's like, polar bears are the fiercest killers in the animal kingdom. And at this point, I'm just like, this dude has way too much access to the Discovery Channel. So I get done with my, my first draft, and, and I send it in, and they like it and whatnot. They start sending it off to people. They send it off to Nick Cage, Tim Burton. During this time, we have the premiere for Chasing Amy. I invite John, because I know this dude doesn't know anything about my work. In fact, I don't think anybody at Warner Brothers knows much about my work beyond having read the script for Chasing Amy. Because I was always afraid somebody at Warner Brothers would would be like, we we gave our fucking million dollar, multi-million dollar franchise to the Clerks guy? (laughs) Like, he's going to turn in a script with fucking Clark, you know, jumping on Lois going, how many fucking dicks did you suck? (laughs) So I figured it was fair to kind of invite the producer of the movie I was writing to see my new movie. So I said, we're having this premiere for Chasing Amy, you want to come? I said, yeah, yeah. I showed up and I talked to him the next day on the phone. I said, what would you think? He was going, interesting, interesting flick. Which in Hollywood means I didn't like it at all. He's going, you know what I really like though? He's going, the, the black guy, the gay black guy, I like that, I like that a lot, I liked his voice. I said, yeah, yeah, Dwight, he's very funny. And he said, that's what we need in our movie. And I was like, you want Dwight to be in the movie? I know he'd fucking be happy to do it. He said, no, we just need that voice. We need that, that character, somebody like him in our movie. Can't Brainiac have a sidekick? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess. And he said, give him a little robot sidekick and give him that dude's voice. I said, really? You want the, the robot to sound like a gay black man? And he said, that's what this movie needs, is a fucking, just a gay R2-D2. <laughs> and at this point, the Star Wars movie was in re-release, and it opened up that previous weekend, made like 30 million bucks and shit like that, and he had gone to see it again. So he was like, we need more shit like that in our movie. Uh, we need something, something that will like, we can make toys of and shit like that, like Chewie. We need Chewie in this movie. And I was like, you want me to just fucking write Chewie into the movie? <laughs> Superman Raslin Chewie? And he said, no, but just something like that. Like, maybe Brainiac has a dog, and it's a, pl- a little cute dog, and we can make a toy out of it. Because that's what it's about. we got to sell some toys off this movie. So I, that's what I need in this movie. I said, I don't really know if that's going to work. He said, don't tell me it's not going to work. I, I want my Chewie. And I was like, I got your fucking Chewie right here. But I don't say that, because I like the job. So, um, Tim Burton and Nick Cage sign on based on my draft. And I was kind of excited. I said, that's, that's kind of neat. You know, fucking Tim Burton, Batman, and Nick Cage. You know, fucking Nick Cage. <laughs> but um, when Tim Burton got signed on to the project, Tim Burton signed a pay-or-play deal, which essentially means no matter what happens, Tim Burton gets paid whatever his directing fee was. I think at that point it was $10 bucks, 5 to $10 million. Um, Tim Burton, once he signs the deal, turns around and says, I'm going to bring on my guys to write a script. And the Warner Brothers guys were like, well, what about script we're developing. And he said, I don't want to use that. I don't want to do my own script. Presumably a version of Superman where he has scissors for hands.
1: <laughs> so Kevin's a little bit salty because Tim Burton kicked him off of this movie. And he's already setting Tim Burton up to be a antagonist with this little comment.
0: So they turn around, they tell me like, Kevin, we're, we're kind of done. Tim wants to go another way with with a new writer. And I was like, all right. You know, I wasn't really that upset, I didn't feel, because I'd worked on it for two drafts, and I got to hang out with a really fucked up kooky dude. (laughs) A dude who I can tell stories about for the rest of my life. And, like, they paid me a lot of money to do it. Like, I would have done it for free, but I didn't tell them that. But they paid me a bunch of money to do it. And it was just fun. Like, I got to work on Superman. I got incredible access into the DC archives and shit like that. And people would give me free Superman shit all the time because I was working on it. And then I got shit canned off and I started throwing Superman stuff away because who needs to be reminded? (laughs) But I was really reminded the next summer when I went to the movies and saw a movie that John Peters had produced and it was called The Wild Wild West. (laughs) So I'm sitting in the theater watching the movie, I'm like, good lord, this is a piece of shit. (laughs) But then all of a sudden,
1: like a giant fucking spider shows up. So notice how he first drops a hint of the punchline for those who get it. And then he leads up to it with the punchline of the giant fucking spider. But he's been teasing up to this for 20 minutes and it's just brilliantly constructed and told. But he's also started building up to the next antagonist with Tim Burton. There's a quick follow-up question. Did you, uh, enjoy Batman? Just since the same people were... Did I enjoy to... Batman? Yeah I, just... yeah, I enjoyed Batman.
0: I mean, with all its flaws and shit, yeah. Absolutely. When the movie came out, like, I was... I had no idea I ever wanted to be in film. I was just a guy that watched movies and shit. And that summer was huge. You couldn't turn around without seeing the bat signal somewhere. People were cutting it into their fucking heads. <laughs> it was just like, it was a summer of Batman. If you were a comic book fan, it was pretty hot. And I was real deep into it at that point. I had just gotten back into comics, so suddenly... Batman was everywhere, so I was a big fan. But Tim Burton, I, I guess, like you know, ever since the Superman incident, people will bring me copies of the script, like they buy at comic book conventions or buy off the internet, and they hand it to me and they're like, "Would you autograph?" I say, "All right," and I always write, "Fuck Tim Burton," because <laughs> I figure he'll never see it. But I guess Tim Burton finally saw one, <laughs> because during the summer, uh, right before Jane Bob* came out and after *Planet of the Apes, *Planet of the Apes* came out. There was a piece that ran in the New York Post on page six, in which Tim Burton chewed me a new asshole. At the end of Planet of the Apes movie, I hope I'm not spoiling it for anybody. Like Marky Mark goes back to fucking present day. (laughs) It is fucking Marky Mark. I don't care what he calls himself now. It's just like feel it, feel it, you know. (laughs) The underwear dude. Um, so Margie Mark goes back to the present day and lands in front of the Lincoln Memorial and gets out. And Lincoln Memorial has a monkey's head on, a little chimp head or something. And the cops get out and they're all monkeys. And he's like, ah. And the audience is like, what? <laughs> so I'm talking to this dude who writes for the New York Post named Lou And he's a friend of mine. He's been covering our stuff from like the early early get going Clerks because he used to live in Bergen County in Jersey. So he goes, um... We were talking about Pontypens. I was like, "You see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What'd you think? Oh, it's fucking terrible. Yeah, it was real bad. It was terrible. Let's just try to ignore it and pretend it never happened." (laughs) I said, "But there's one thing in that movie I found really fucking interesting—a weird coincidence." I said, "Uh, "You got the Jay and Silent Bob miniseries? I'd done this comic book miniseries uh, called Chasing Dogma that took place between the movies Chasing Amy and Dogma when they leave Chasing Amy." the comic book story happens and the tail end of the comic book story and the last page they enter dogma. So it was a little mini-series that bridged it and kind of fun to do. And we used a whole section of it for the last movie Jay and son Bob Strike Back. The whole section with the monkey came right out of the comic book. So at one point just like in the movie where Jay is imagining what's going to happen when monkeys take over the planet or if monkeys take over the planet we did that in the comic book. Same montage but there was one additional shot in the comic book that wasn't in the movie which was a bunch of apes pulling the head off the Lincoln Memorial and replacing it with a monkey head. So when I saw Planet of the Apes, I was like, that's fucked up. I put that in a comic book once. That's so weird. So I was on the phone with Lou, I was like, pick up your copy of Chasing Dogma. I said, go to this page, and he's looking at it, he's going, oh my God, it's just like the thing in the movie. I said, isn't that fucked up? Great minds think alike, motherfucker. (laughs) Um, So he said, you want to say something about it? We can make a piece out of this, little piece for the paper. I said, all right, because I'm a press whore. I will do anything to see my name in print. So I was just like, yeah, great. Even though it wasn't news, I was like, all right, all right. He said, what do you have to say about it? I said, I'm really mad. <laughs> I feel like I've been ripped off, and I am contemplating legal action. <laughs> <laughs> and we're on the phone, like, eeeee. 40
1: year old guy, 30 year old guy, hey. Um Again, like the structure of stand-up, it's fractal. So this is a punchline to a small story, but it's a build-up to an even bigger callback down the line.
0: So he's like, you mind if I call Tim Burton and get a comment? I said, go ahead, let's get Tim on it. That would be awesome. So the piece runs in the paper two days later on page six. And it said Smith furious at Burton or something akin to that. And I read the article and my quotes don't come off as like, I feel I'm pissed off. It says, He's very pissed off. He feels ripped off, and he's currently contemplating legal action. And I'm going, like, I, That's not what I said at all. I didn't say it. I was, Teeheehee. Well, you know, I didn't, that's not in the article. Where's the hee? <laughs> and in the piece, it said, When asked for comment, Tim Burton said, Anybody that knows me knows that I would never read a comic book. Which, to me, explains fucking Batman. <laughs> but, but it said, then the next quote was, and I would especially never read anything created by Kevin Smith. And I was just like, holy shit, man. Like the claws came out. The fuck, the scissor hands came out. <laughs> Because Tim, I don't know if you've ever seen him in interviews or seen him like, you know, I think they did an anti-biography on him, I'm not sure, but I've seen stuff with Tim and and Tim is always like, I'm a goofy artist, you know, (laughs) I'm goth and I just like movie magic, you know, (laughs) just like a real artsy fartsy fucking weirdo. And he wears the black and he wears big fucking Jackie O glasses. And he's got the hair that kind of goes up and cascades. He just looks like an art school student. Always like this, you know? Doesn't dress nice like this. Um, but, but suddenly, Tim went from being like, I'm just a very kooky guy to be like, fuck Fat Smith. <laughs> fuck him up his ass. <laughs> I'm Tim Burton. Who the fuck does he think I stole from him? Fuck you! You know, the verbal equivalent in the, pr- in the press. And I was flabbergasted, taken aback, because I'm just like, I, you know, I'm used to fucking saying shit about people left and right, nobody ever says anything back, because people are fairly political. But for one brief moment, Tim Burton was just like, the gloves are off! Let's, let's go. So I called up Lou. I was like, Lou, what'd you do to me? What's going on here, man? And He's going, I, I, you know, I told you it was going to be a Page Six story. I said, I didn't know you were going to run it like it was a serious item. He said, yeah, well, he's gone once. I got the Tim Burton quote. I thought it was great. I was like, yeah, but, but, but did you read it? He said, yeah, it's funny as hell. I was like, Lou, it's funny to me and you. Everyone else thinks I got people fucking calling me. CNN, fucking the LA Times. They want to know when I'm going to start suing 20th Century Fox. Like, I, we were, t- tee hee hee. <laughs> And he said, well, look, man, just be happy, because, like, he, he had more to say. Because Lou, after we got done talking, called up Tim's publicist. Tim's publicist' name is Bumble Ward. I'm not making it up. I'm gonna say it one more time. Tim's publicist's name is Bumble Ward. There is somebody on this planet named Bumble. Bumble fucking Ward. He calls Bumble and he's like, uh, Kevin Smith said this about Tim and about Planet of the Apes. Would Tim like to make a comment? And, and Bumble Ward, he said at first, was just like, no. Click. And so Lou started writing his article and the phone rang five minutes later and, she, and it was Bumble Ward again. And she said, Tim does, in fact, have a statement. And he's like, okay, what is it? And she read off that statement that he fucking printed. So apparently, like, Bumble was just like, he what is he, fucking 10? He's got nothing to say to that. And was talking to Tim, was just like, fucking the dude, that made Clarks was saying shit like, like, you stole the ending of Planet of the Apes from his comic book. And Tim was like, he said, what? Get them back on the phone. Here's my statement. You know, fucking, I would never read anything creative like him. So Lou said, be happy that I went to press as soon as I did because 10 minutes later, Bumble Ward called back to say, like, Tim has more statements to make. Like, apparently, Tim was just like, I, I, I'm fucking, and say this too. You know, he's fucking, he's ugly and his mother dresses him funny. And fucking, Moritz was stupid and fucking uh, the, the, his, his wife's got big ears. You know, but he, he'd gone to press so he couldn't put it in the article. So um, I always thought that if I ever write a book one day, like if I ever write a novel or something like that, and you have to put quotes on the back of the novel, you know, little reverb, <laughs> review blurbs and shit, like it's a great read, you know, fucking Smith knocks one out of the park, I'm going to take that Tim Burton quote. And use that as the last quote. I would especially never read anything created by <laughs> Kevin Smith.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's my clip from the Kevin Smith Superman Lives Wawa West story. It's just an amazing bit of storytelling. The other thing that I just don't know how he does it. All of this was delivered impromptu. He does a QA and a session. People come up to him with questions, and he just stands there telling a story with not very much ums and ahs, but... Just a consistent beat of a laugh every 30 seconds or so, and it's just wonderful to watch. And I think not many people can do it, but we can at least try to learn some of the techniques.